Hey guys, welcome back into another edition of the Nolcast here and uh, LSU on deck. FSU got their FCS game out of the way, but now the season truly starts. It is good to start 1-0 for the first time in like six or seven years. <laughs> Appreciate all of our sponsors, Tarpon Sellers, Louisiana Hot Sauce, Legendary Home Loans, Congruity HR Solutions, and Charlie Park. And we have a special guest today for a, not necessarily a prediction episode, we might get one out of them, we'll see, but uh, a preview episode. Yeah. Guy I got drinks with at SC Media Day, Brody Miller. Man, w- welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. It's an honor. Uh, appreciate uh, ready for some football this year, man. Probably shouldn't inter- introduce you as Guy. I got drinks with at SC Media Day. It's I prefer like, that. I am here for a- that. Yeah. LSU expert from the Athletic at Brody A Miller on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if uh, it was we went to some barbecue place, didn't we? It was the uh, yeah. oh man, we're terrible. I'm blanking on the, the name. Fox Brothers or Heirloom. Yes, one Fox of those. Yeah, no, that's it. Yep, I, it was I know good. No, no free ads, but it, it was legit. Yeah, <laughs> if you're in Atlanta, it was uh, it was good barbecue. So, uh, am I wrong to think that Brian Kelly is just a little bit there's more normalcy covering this team now than what you had with Orchard on the last couple of years? No, I think that's honestly the most simple and accurate way to put it is just normalcy, both in my day-to-day life and in just, the I think, anyone who works in that building would tell you. You know, I, I think, and by the way, Ed O'Shawn wasn't bad to cover. I don't want to put it that way. Like, he, he was pretty good with the media, all those things. But, like, it's just a different world, right? Ojeron was news all the time and weirdness and everything was kind of goofy and a lot of kind of games being played. You know, that goes in this field sometimes. And, and I think with Kelly, it's a lot of, what you see is what it is and and hey here's what you're getting and granted this is the new coach thing so don't overplay this but also the like a lot of access we're getting right now but again that's the new coach thing a little bit but but still yeah i think normalcy is a good way to put it just in terms of that building is run just a lot smoother and it's more just like here's what i expect of you all right uh, if you do it great i'm gonna let you go and if you don't do it i'm gonna get mad at you but like i i think a lot of the both for covering him and people in that building would say like things are just a little straightforward and, and well-processed and organized. I thought last year's roster was pretty good, but maybe a little like loaded at some spots and then very thin at others. And, and I'm not really sure how well that staff did at overcoming some of those. What, when you look back and watch that offense from last year, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this, but did it, <laughs> to me, it looked like they were loading up those young quarterbacks and offensive line with, with too much. Like it, it, yeah. there's a lot of guys running five men routes. No, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, you know, you never like to just like beat a horse when they're down. But, you know, Jake Pete's an offensive coordinator. Just the more you heard out of that year. And this was his first time being a coordinator. It was a lot very new. And also there's probably something a little even more difficult about your head coach is kind of on the hot seat going into the year and you're and you hire two really young coordinators. But a lot of things are he didn't really know what he was doing. He didn't know how to. He was relatively, people would say, he knew he was smart with the passing game stuff, but did not know how to marry the run concepts with the pass concepts and make it a cohesive offense. And you could see it. I mean, the best just literal tangible example is how often they would have to call timeouts before plays because they didn't, they weren't ready. They didn't know what was coming in. You know, it was too much happening. There was one time they had to call a timeout after a kickoff because they had all those things. So wait, yeah. Was it after a TV timeout after a kickoff? Yes. Because we call that a Jeff Bowden here on this show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've been doing the show for about a decade. Yeah. T- timeout that, after TV timeout it was is, called, is called a yeah. Jeff Bowden. So there were a lot yeah. of moments like that. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. The O-line often seemed very overwhelmed. And that's why, like, even though Max Johnson didn't win the job at AM, I'm also not making a harsh judgment on what I think of him yet because so much was unfair on him. Pressure in his face. Nobody knew what they were doing. So, yeah, I think you're right in that assessment. 
So they go out this year and they attack the transfer portal really hard. Offensively, you bring in Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. You bring in Noah Kane uh, from Penn State, who was an IMG kid. We, we got to see him pretty good bit down here in the state of Florida. You get Kyron Lacey and, and you know coming in at receiver, Miles Frazier and Tremont Shorts uh, on the offensive line. Are, are any of those guys expected to play a lot? I mean, I've been seeing Daniels, obviously. That Are we wrong to presume he's the starter? That part's tricky because I think both will genuinely play. Just Kelly's history says that, how close this is says that. But I think if I had to pick right now, I think Daniels gets the first go. But yeah, it's, I think I actually give Kelly credit for kind of how he uh, went about the portal. I think you've seen a lot of teams get a little literally hole patching, you know, just genuinely top heavy, like a, a roster built on. And I think what Kelly did relatively smartly was realized the way Ogeron left this roster was the entire infrastructure was shot. I mean, certain roster spots had literally one scholarship player. So your freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior classes were all just out of whack. So yes, he brought in a good amount of guys who are plug and play starters, right? Jarek Bernard Converse was an all big 12 corner at Oklahoma state whole start this year. Uh, Miles Frazier, like you said, freshman, all American according to multiple places. He's probably going to start this year. Like you have those guys, but you also balanced a lot of like, Hey, redshirt freshman, you really like, but he's going to, that's adding depth. And so he added 16 or 15 transfers, but it wasn't all just like, you know, in the old miss way, I think is the best example of like, you're trying to basically make all your starters. It was a little more big picture, but to answer your actual question. Yeah. I think Noah Kane will probably be the number two throughout most of the season. Cause John Emery's the main guy, but against Florida state, John Emery will be suspended. So expect Kane to be the main guy or Kyron Lacey, you know, he's probably the sixth receiver because they're so deep a receiver, but they needed another guy in that age group, for example, and a good culture guy, things like that. So I think the main transfers to really watch are Bernard Converse, uh, Makai Garners, uh, you know, in seven banks are probably going to compete for that second outside corner spot. Seven banks, of course, was a preseason All-American a year ago to Ohio State, but it just has wild injury problems. So you don't know how he'll be. And then Greg Brooks is clearly the starting nickel, a three-year starter at Arkansas, a guy you can just rely on, steady, smart. And and there are probably others I'm forgetting, but honestly, those are the main ones. And I think it's fair to say, you know, eight of those transfers are probably more depth pieces right now than they are like, we need you. And then obviously Daniels. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I So with, with Daniels, if he is the starter, uh, he's, a, he's a tough read for me. Brody, because like, everyone, yeah, <laughs> Arizona State was kind of kind of a shit show. So, how do you judge what he did yeah. at Arizona State? I, I never was a huge fan of the kid, like as a recruiter, I thought he was fine, but maybe that was the Spencer Rattler class, right? To where I believe the, so. it was the yeah, it was the year after Fields and, and just and Trevor yes. and all those guys. Yeah. I was like, this Elite 11 finals feels like a regional, not a national <laughs> final, right? Like oh, the man. guys who made it that year. Um, uh, that's maybe an you know, exaggeration, but still. If he is the starter, how much of it is because of his mobility and potentially the need to use that mobility, given the offensive line, just from reading your stuff, could yep. be maybe like not one of the strengths of this team? No, I think you hit it on the head. I think it's fair to say that, you know, a large Kelly has everything they've alluded to, both him and Mike Dembrock. It's kind of been mobility is something they'd really like. And yeah, it's fair to read between the lines that if it's Daniels, which it seems to be, it's a little bit of them telling us. They don't love this O-line. I don't think it's going to be a disaster, but it's not going to be great. And you kind of want somebody who can neutralize that a little bit. I think you're absolutely right. The other thing with him is 
I think mo- he's the person you most often hear Kelly talk about. He manages the offense well. He r- runs the offense smoothly. And obviously, Daniels has a lot of limitations we can get to. But just watching scrimmages, and they've given us so much access. We've watched full scrimmages. He does run that offense really smoothly. Do I trust him as much as I trust Garrett Nussmeyer to make some great play downfield, throw a beautiful ball, read a defense, all that? No, I don't. But I do trust him to, to run that offense smoothly and efficiently in a different kind of way. So I think that's another part of it, too. But to your point about the Arizona State years, yeah, it's it's been exhausting for me these last nine months because it's like you could convince yourself of any argument you want to take the side of. Because freshman year, when he actually had some help, when he had great receivers and Brandon Ayuk, Frank Darby, a good O-line, a good staff even, he would look like a guy who's like a fringe Heisman candidate the next year. He looked like a star to some extent. And then both of his last two years, one, you have the drama surrounding everything. You can't leave that out. Two, the O-line was a mess, and you had no one to throw to. I mean, you have balls going off face masks at times. And it's like, yes, you could say he had no help, and then it got worse. Or you could say he only can be good when he has all this help. But but the real thing you got to watch is, and his offense coordinator, Zach Hill, even talked on the record with me in an interview about it. Like, there were times where he would just – he because he didn't have help – would just immediately take off running. Just He wouldn't even go through his progression for more than a second. Just go, go, go. And when he's that good of a runner, it's not like it's a flaw, but it's something that can't work in the SEC as well. So I genuinely don't know is the honest answer. But, yeah, he will have more help at LSU, but he also is facing much more vicious defenses. There's so many ways it could go. So so you mentioned those receivers he did have at ASU for that one year. Those guys are, I think, probably still in the pros. Yeah. And I look at this LSU roster, and I think – Ideally, if you can block it, you need to come out chucking this thing because these receivers yeah. are really freaking good. Can they block it? Should that be the optimal <laughs> strategy here, given the quarterback and 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 what you have at you know running back and, and offensive line? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I think it's the number one thing most of us are really watching in this game because yeah, Florida State does have a good front, right? And they do that is going to be a challenge for them because the way I look at this O line right now. It's like I think the floor is – I think we talked about this in Atlanta too. I think the floor is a little higher than it was you know, a year ago, two years ago, really four of the last five years under Ogeron. The O-line has just been an issue. But, you know, I think they have eight or nine guys they trust. They got guys they like. I think Brad Davis is a pretty good O-line coach. But I have absolutely no idea what the ceiling is in the sense that there's maybe one person who's really started football in, the, in a real way. Uh, it's, you know, you got a true freshman at left tackle at Will Campbell, who I think is a stud and like a dude. He is beating guys like BJ Ojolari and Ollie Gay in drills. But still, it's like true freshman playing major football. You know, there's a lot of, and there's transfers you're relying on. So I think it will be okay. I don't think it'll be a strength by any means. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to find out Florida State goes out and, and dominates it. Yeah, that's, that's a key chance for Florida State. I think there's definitely a chance that, that both offensive lines in this game uh, are yeah. are substantially worse than what they're having to block. You know, I, I look at some of this stuff. Uh, the, the one thing that stands out for me is that, you know, both tackles, I, I don't know what Campbell, you know, weighed in at, but he's he's a lean guy. Like, he's not, he's not sloppy. Uh, both of FSU's ends are are really thick. Like, Ooh, like, 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 you know, 280, 270 type, type stuff. So they... They're they're not like speed rush type type guys. They're they're dudes who can you know can set the edge type type thing. So I'm I am curious, you know, from my perspective, if I think this FSU team has to blitz more this year. It's just kind of common sense when you lose a uh, you know really good college D end, and then they also lost one to the first rounder to the Jets on, on the other side. I think to get pass pressure they have to blitz more, but 
like it wouldn't shock me if they just play a lot of two deep stuff and mm-hmm. say, hey, like the front, clean up the run. If LSU can, like if LSU can run a light box, we'll adjust. If not, we'll see you in the red zone. Yeah, type <laughs> type type idea. Uh, do you, what what kind of you've seen the scrimmages? Can this LSU team be a good running team? Can it be an average SEC running team? What what are you thinking here? It's tough. And by the way, just to jump on what you're saying with the lines, I know we both are, are friends with Colin, Colin Wilson over the action. Network. Yeah. I know he loves the first half under in this game, which I think is yeah. probably a great play. Uh, yeah. Probably not that confident, especially with Emory out. Right. I think Emory was po- is poised to finally have that breakout year. I've been hearing for four years. He was a stud in high school. Jo- John Emory, for he, our folks who don't know, yes. like really good running back five star. And by the way, he is really good. Like he was supposed to have his breakout year last year. And then was academically ineligible. And that's still lingering. I still think he's going to have that year, but the, anyway, I'm not that confident in the run game, you know, and it's tough in the scrimmages to judge closely because LSU does have a, an elite D line, you know? So it's like, you always have to take it with a grain of salt. But still, I'm just not that confident they're going to be a, and especially because it looks like they're going to go with the O line of Cam Wire at right tackle. Which the one scenario I kind of loved, and this is probably way too inside baseball for what you're asking, is through much of fall they were doing this, you know, kind of punch you in the mouth O line of like kind of the five guard thing of like Anthony Bradford who's going to start at guard was going to be a tackle and Frazier was a guard and it was like I think that could have been really smart in a lot of ways get thick up there and get but now it looks like they're going with cam wire at that tackle spot and you got two true tackles and i don't know about that in the run game so i'm not that confident that i would probably give florida state the edge there yeah but i think that's Jaden daniels adds one guy you got to defend so it might be way better than i'm giving a credit i i think it's fascinating right i mean yeah. I, if you are allowing explosive plays in this game i think you're doing it wrong it's a, can you make either of these offenses consistently block you know not get a holding penalty or or a tackle for loss and then, and then make both these these units i think execute in the red zone you know it, every more yeah um cuz it's like which, lsu's main hope probably if you're right has to probably be just get the ball in those receivers' hands on short routes and whatnot and make them make plays. And by the way, those guys can, right? Malik Neighbors, Kayshawn Booty, those guys yeah. are studs. But also then you're putting more pressure on Jaden Daniels to be a dialed-in, efficient passer under pressure. And, like, I don't know if he's there yet either. So it's a lot that could go wrong. This is the best receiving core FSU is going to see this year. Like, they see a lot of really good D-lines. I mean, Clemson, Miami, NC State. Like, there's, there's a lot of – people like who got who have you know pass rushers and and yeah. good d tackles i actually think like this receiving core though is it, assuming Kayshawn is like 100 ready to go I, I read the story on on the surgery stuff yeah. he's back to looking like he needs to be looking yes he is back to 100 good to go i think there's still like going to be the question of like is this confidence back to make a certain cut all that but yeah no he's he's back and ready. that's gonna be a problem and you know jack betch who's kind of like he's listed as a receiver but he got a lot of run for them last year at, at yeah. sort of like a hybrid, you know, tight end type look. No. Yeah. I mean, the receiver is so many issues you could point out in this team. I think that receiving core is among the best in the SEC where yeah, Butte is, should be one of the three best receivers probably in the country. And then Malik neighbors is a guy who made some just incredible highlight catches last year. And he's the guy I'd buy the most stock in right now. I mean, he's just the dude they're moving him into that slot role to kind of make him a mismatch guy in a lot of ways. And, and I really, he's the guy I think when people are doubling boots, will be, will be dominating. And then you're right. It's like, they have a 
dearth of so many op not dearth uh, so many options of terms of yeah Jack Besh probably might, I might not start and he's the guy who's probably their most trusted guy last year where Jare Jenkins is a really reliable outside receiver you know he might start Brian Thomas is a former top 100 recruit who's a physical freak who I think they want more consistency out of so he might not but he'll be in the rotation constantly so then Besh maybe you know you have so many options there to do different things too you have your big freak guys you have your trustworthy route runner guys so I think I think it's this weird combination and that's why part of me was like Nussmeier might make sense in some ways is because it's like your passing game might be your best chance of overachieving but you also if you go with Daniels there's a limit on your passing game it's it's this tough give and take yeah I mean, if you need to have to score 40 maybe it's Nuss but if you think 30 gets it done that's yeah. the perfect way to put it honestly I think you're completely right yeah so am I wrong to assume here, and this is just like I, I look at all these teams, I, I do a lot of the, you know, the betting content for 24-7 CBS. Yeah. My error bars on this offense are like wider than the screen. My error, like I think I have a decent yeah. idea of the defense will be somewhere in the range of like above average to very good. Yeah. Uh, up front, are they last year when I watched them, I felt like they did not play to their talent level. That is a accurate assessment. It was like it was all these guys who were capable of making really good plays, but they weren't gap sound. They weren't a lot of these guys were great pass rushers, quite frankly, and weren't good run defenders. And I mean, that's almost why at some point they had no choice but to make Mason Smith at the end, which is proof of how good he is, but also like it was proof they just needed somebody to be like, Can you set an edge? Like, yeah. So I think you're absolutely right about that. It was just not very disciplined. And I think that's improving with Jamar Kane, D line coach, who Everywhere he's been, the, the run stats and the pass rush stats have improved the next year. Arizona State, Oklahoma. Matt House is one of, I think, one of the smarter DCs in, in football, or a, a good one, I should say. So, yeah, I do think you'll see improvement. And the thing that I think will open everything up for that D-line to, again, in the best-case scenario, be the best D-line in the SEC is Mason Smith being a sophomore and being the focal point. He was a rotation guy as a freshman, but it's like Mason Smith's the guy who I believe, if it all breaks right, should be – the way we talk about, I don't know, Will Anderson going into his junior year will be the way we talk about Mason Smith going into his. Like, he's a freak, 6'6", 299, can play any position. I mean, when he was playing just D-tackle, his pass rush numbers were, like, top three in the country as a D-tackle. Like, but it's just a freak. So, and I think that will help everyone because now you have, you know, it'll help Gay and Ojolari on the edge so much. It'll help Jaqueline Roy, who's another possible first-round prospect in that kind of nose spot. And, you know, if you double him, you know, what's that going to open up? I think it'll be better, but it is – I still want to see it, right? I still, to your exact yeah. point, want to see, like, can you actually play gap sound smart football? You're right. Yeah, when, when, when I saw when I saw Mason Smith play last year, it was – like, I've seen him as a recruit a lot. I'm, I'm at all these recruiting events and whatnot. Like, the guy the guy is freaky. I, I didn't see him as much because he was in that, that yeah. uh, the COVID class. But, you know, still, I, the guy's really, really talented. He did seem to be – in the wrong gap, wrong, yeah. wrong, wrong technique, like pop up and would play just unreasonably high all of a sudden. It, how much better does he look in, in these scrimmages to you? Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of that being like, hey, you're a true freshman playing in the yeah. SEC, a D tackle, you know, one of the few spots you're barely going to see that. And you got to go play Chip Kelly in one of his opening games. And he's like, well, Good guess point. what? We're going to read all these D tackles. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's a little bit of that. Everything I've gathered is like he is the guy they trust. He is the guy yeah. that like the second Kelly, not that this is the same thing, but 
the second Kelly was in the building, it was like Mason Smith's are, you know, how that goes like you need your allies, your players you can rely on. He was immediately one of those. Jamar Kane loves him. Matt House loves him. So I don't want to like talk out of turn or pretend I know more than I do. But this, I, I think so far, it seems like he is the guy they trust arguably most next to maybe Ollie Gay. How have they adapted to running this three this three down front? Like they've always LSU to me has always been a four three team. We think yeah. of Nick as a three down guy, but when Nick was at LSU, like they were running they were running four down stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I think so far, I think it's got from what I've gathered, it's getting more out of everybody. And I, I hate that I'm talking so positive because when we get no, to the secondary, no. it's I'll be a super talented you. roster. <laughs> yeah, right. It's yeah. like when we get to the secondary, I'll be talking about the issues, but. I, I think it gets the m- most out of more players, right? B.J. Jalari is a super talent. I don't think his best is being a 4-3 DN. I think you're seeing him get more of his athleticism, seeing him drop into coverage a little or, you know, go off the edge. I think that's going to get more out of him. I think getting that that's role is going to get more out of Mason Smith. I do wonder Jaqueline and Roy, because he's probably a bit more of that three technique, I think, naturally. Now yeah. he's more of a nose. I do wonder about that. But still, you, you've seen him go – I've seen them go with the two down D tackle stuff, you know, with the two stand up ends, you know, that and that allows Roy to get the best of both worlds. And at linebacker, I don't think, you know, Mike Jones being the main cog, I don't know how good I think Mike Jones is because he looked great at times last year and bad at times last year, but he's a really, really, really smart player that I know uh, Matt House knows he can trust. So I think that helps us kind of being the main communicative thing. So I think that transition's gone smoothly, but there's still a lot I want to see. In my head, I thought when when Jones transferred there from Clemson, right? I knew Clemson had some studs coming up. Jones yeah. could lose his job at Clemson, and he didn't start last year. He was weird. He played a decent number of snaps, but then it's like, oh, this this Demone Clark guy is actually really really yeah. damn good. Uh, he made like a you know, like a million tackles for them. Uh, I do have a question. This is really just out of left field. Wes Weeks was a guy that I really yeah. liked during the COVID season. Just be, like you didn't get to go see him very much because travel was limited. If you work for a corporation, so. Uh, is he going to be a dude there? I, I thought like he was a fantastic athlete who played yep. five positions in high school. He falls in the camp of those guys that they brought in kind of big picture, not just patching holes. But no, he is clearly on that second unit. And, you know, it goes a linebacker. I mean, he's going to see the field. I, I think there's kind of a they're in a really good setup right now, at linebacker where, yeah, Jones is probably gone next year. But Greg Penn is going to be a starter and he's a really exciting sophomore. He's back next year. West Weeks, they really love him. Like he's one of those guys. I'm not sure what his upside is. I don't know. I'm just, but like, they just love him. You know, you always know how those guys go. And I think he's back. Harold Perkins will see the rotation. So that linebacker room for the future looks really good. I'm just not sure how great it's going to be this year, but weeks will definitely see the field. And by the way, to your Mike Jones thing, it was so weird because the first part was understandable. He was transitioning from being that nickel hybrid role of Clemson to an inside linebacker. And he flat out admitted, man, I, I don't, I wasn't ready for SEC guys in the box just laying me out in the face. So that part made sense. But then the sec, basically, Durante Jones wasn't really allowed to run his defense last year for the first seven games or so. Ogeron was Mm -hmm. limiting what they did. And then the second Ogeron was fired, right? Durante Jones was allowed to run what he actually wanted. And they ran more true, kind of, kind of true three, four, four, three, like actual three linebacker stuff. And Mike Jones came in and looked great. So it's like this weird thing of maybe he was always good and what they were limited. I don't know, but they, he's definitely the leader of that team. Yeah. If you break it out almost in, in thirds that like the LSU defense, the last three or last three or four games of the year, not including the bowl game where they only had like 20 guys on the Mm -hmm. roster. um, You know, that was, 
they played a hell of a lot better down the stretch. They, they almost like shut out Bama and beat them, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it was wild. The last four games, their defense was top three in every SEC metric, which I don't want to overrate that because it was a lot of like SEC was the cupcake game in a way. So, you know, you have to like factor that stuff in. But yeah, no, it was noticeable. And that, I mean, that, they did do a really nice job against Bama. That was also the game, I think them in Arkansas where Bama was just, they were so banged up on the O line, they didn't know who yes. the hell to play. And I was like, oh, 100%. God, I got to play this kid. Like, I saw this kid, you know, 10 months ago at, at a camp. Like, this kid's not ready to play. <laughs> no, that's true. In, in the SEC. Uh, all right. So, in the secondary, I recognize a lot of these names. Exactly. But I read your stuff, and I'm not really sure that the performance so far in camp fully matches up to the quality of the, like, the name value here. Is that? Yeah. No, I think it's fair. I mean, safety, they're fine, right? I think they have three starters at safety, really, between Major Burns is back, Jay Ward's back, who's a great player, and Joe Fush from um, Arkansas, three-year starter. Yeah, they're fine at safety. They're even fine at nickel. Greg Brooks from Arkansas is a really good player, and Sage Ryan's a former five-star. Outside corner is just, it's a major question mark, you know, because to your point, a lot of names, a lot of guys that like in a vacuum, right, where everyone's healthy, everything goes magnificently. Yeah, Jarek Bernard Converse and Seven Banks is actually like a really good corner room. But both have been banged up at times throughout camp. Banks is still, as of like a week ago, still wasn't like really going in scrimmages yet. And, you know, Jarek Bernard Converse, obviously all Big 12 and that he's the guy they like most. There's no doubt he's starting. But even he hasn't looked necessarily great or standouty, which, you know, that happens sometimes when you go Big 12 to SEC where like, you know, again, I don't think it's gonna be bad, but you're not the star you just were, and I, and I wonder how whole transition. I think will be reliable, but that's other corner spot. It's like Mac- I think right now it's Makai Garner from Louisiana is gonna start, and he's a physical freak, right? Six two, really built. But even Louisiana staffers were saying like, we think he's probably a safety. Like he's not quick enough to be a corner, and now he's doing that in the SEC or against Florida State. You know, that's a huge question at outside corner, and and it's like. Yeah, if Banks is healthy, that's good, but he's still not ready. And if there's even one injury at outside corner, they are possibly screwed. You know, like a McNeese walk on Colby Richardson. Credit to him, he's done really well in camp. Like, he looks like he can actually play. But it's like the depth there is abysmal. So if one guy goes down, which is going to happen in SEC football, you're really in trouble there. And to your point, I'm not even convinced if healthy these guys are that great at corner right now, just in terms of transition from transfers injuries so yeah there's a chance it works out well but there's probably a lot more chances where that is the the thing you can attack all right so this may sound just crazy but (laughs) if you trust the safeties and you you trust brooks the nickel and you think that the two corners are are that definitely the 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 other corner opposite you know converse is a little sketch and you don't know that Ojolari is a good fit as a 4-3 DN. You think he's better as like a 3-4 stand-up, you know, chase-the-play type guy. And you have mostly bigger linebackers, I think. Yeah, or, that's accurate. Would you want to, like, make these guys play in a phone booth so you keep Brooks off the field? And like, I, or, or would you want to spread these guys? I almost think, like, you know, to your point, you said, w- will these guys play the run? We, we know they can rush the passer. You know, can, can they play – in a phone booth where the corners are more isolated outside you know that that, that type of stuff i think because then you keep, my, you keep your third safety off the field too you're saying would lsu want to like if i was playing lsu would i would i maybe think about going my bad you know okay. more two tight ends or, or more, more two back stuff to make these guys play in, in a more traditional like phone okay, booth that's type thing where... no i think that's really smart actually i think that would be a, a good plan against them because 
it's like, I don't hate the linebackers. So you could go big and, you know, maybe hang in there. But, you know, I think that would attack kind of a a weakness. I think the zig for LSU there would be because Joe Fusha and, uh, and Ward are both guys who are pretty good in the box. Maybe yeah. you can let those safeties get out there and, you know, you're still probably at a mismatch, but like at least you can kind of hang and be versatile. That would be the main zig there. But no, you're right. I think if you're trying to think of a way, that's absolutely it because you're putting pressure on those corners and you're taking off one of LSU's more reliable players. I think that's smart. But I assume you do have more confidence in the defense than the offense, even with the secondary issues. That <sighs> It's a good question. I think I have more ups upside i know it's such a boring term but yeah because i think that d-line is a chance to be special if it comes together as we said like that is a chance to be holy crap good so i probably agree with that but the, the the thing where i'm arguing with myself here which is why i'm exhausting is like there's bigger scenario where the cornerback like a, the secondary just screws them and, and it's like an actual red flag well there's plenty of scenarios where the offense everything's just kind of okay you know so it's like but yeah i think i will overall say you're right that i have more confidence in the uh, last year, special teams was at times really, really good. Like they had a great kicker. Yeah. But he's gone now? Yes, he is. Are they okay at kicker? That's <laughs> I mean, a great I, question. Like there they was were a... top 10 in the nation in, in, in uh, like points over expected with field goals. They've been spoiled for after like a long time. LSU was terrible at kicker. Four years of Cole Tracy and Cade York. They've been so spoiled. Yeah, I'll admit. If you, if you sometimes like during practices, you'll just kind of zone out to the distant field and watch the kickers. It was like, Oh, that could be rough. There are a lot of C, C angle kicks, you know. Uh, I think Damian Ramos is a guy who looks like he's won that job. And I don't know if he's a guy you're going to trust to go make some 52 yarder, but he's at least the guy you can trust to make those and, you know, those give me kicks and things like that. But no, that is not a strength that used to be. I think it's fair to say they'll probably regress pretty far to you know, bottom half or something like that in, in field goal. They had uh, Jay Bramblett, the punter from Notre Dame, who was clearly a guy, you know, Brian Poley and Trust coming over from Notre Dame. I think he'll be solid. And I'm really interested to see you in the return game, kind of what happens, because they basically just didn't have a return game for a few years. They just kind of just accepted, like, hey, we're fair catching a lot of the time. Let's not mess with stuff. But I think they're going to put, you know, Bleak Neighbors, Sage Ryan, mm -hmm. some really exciting players in those spots to do some things. So I'm curious what they do there. But to your initial question, yeah, field goal, you will see some regression, no doubt about it. FSU had like bad punting for a couple of years, and then they finally had a, a, a pretty nice punting year last year, yeah. and, 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 the, and the kid is back. The field goal kicker, kind of in the same spot. It's not really something that you're yeah, not a whole lot of trust in, basically. So yeah, it, that'll yeah. be what you get. First half under, baby. Yeah, first half under. I, I I agree with you on that. this. This thing could just go so many different ways. You know, really could. And like yep. Dembrock has faced off before against Fuller. Oh wow! You know, so I, I'd be interested to see. I'll, I'll be looking go go back and watch a couple of those. I'm, I'm just I'm curious to see. And we know like Norvell has never faced off against. Kelly, I don't think, because Brian was already gone from Cincinnati by the time Mike got to Memphis. No, but he well, has faced last, last oh, year. Oh, my bad, yeah. my bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I was just thinking back. Like, to like you of all people should know. <laughs> right? No, no. I like, but last year's offense was just I mean, it was terrible. They're, they're yeah, it's, it's hard to use that as an actual data point. Yeah, right. And Notre Dame's like their whole offensive line got hurt by the second quarter. Yeah. So it was like, oh, hey, block a couple first rounders in the D line. <laughs> it's kind of a throw it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. no, this game is going to be – I think you're probably in a very similar boat when people are constantly asking you, and it's like anyone who pretends they like are really strongly predicting what's going to happen, that means that's the person you shouldn't listen to because these are two teams that 
I mean, Florida State's probably more easy to figure out what they're going to be, but LSU, you have no idea what it's going to be. And there's a lot of comps to LSU-UCLA last year where Florida State's in that similar boat of, yeah, if you look at the record last year, you're like, oh, Florida State, you should win that, or like UCLA, you should win that. But yeah, if you look closely, they were a team that, tell me if you think I'm wrong, looked like Florida State was turning a corner and fighting harder and doing some things. It's like, that's very similar to UCLA. And you have a week zero game, very similar to UCLA. So there's a lot. You're both top 10 in returning production by ESPN's metric. You know, like, I think there's a lot of stuff that makes you think, like, man, Florida State might be more ready, even if LSU's more talented. Yeah, I I, I agree with, with, with definitely with some of that. I UCLA was one of my absolute best bets last year. I had them nice. first quarter, first half. I, I had them, like, a lot on the alternate line for, like, like an, or a UCLA blowing oh, yeah. out of, yeah. you know, like, 9-1 to one type stuff. Um, I mean, it was – it's like, man, LSU's D-line does not play the run. Like, they're they're not gap sound at all. they got young kids who are talented on the inside. Chip Kelly's going to abuse that. Like, they're not going to play this right. It's an early game. Not really sure I trust this coaching staff right now, given all the turnover uh, that they do, you know, despite some people in the program telling me otherwise. that I, I thought there was maybe some upheaval going on there. Yeah, you were uh, correct. I drank the Kool-Aid a little. I, that's why this year I'm refusing to be, like, a hype. Like, you know what? Kelly's going to do great because I'm like – Two years in a row, I yada yada so many LSU issues by being like, but they're just the talent and all that. And I'm like, not again. Not. Granted, maybe it's going to be different when you have a grown up in the room, but it's just like, God, they were a mess. I feel like like the differences might be like FSU has had some poor injury luck so far with some of their impact transfers. So Caden Lyles, their center they brought in from Wisconsin is done for the year. Um, Winston Wright, their best receiver, I think, from the portal. Yeah. It took four. And I actually, Brady, I. I, I Call you Brady. Excuse me, you Brady. Can. I'm sorry. Like, like they, I think they might have gone four for four on their transfers. Even yeah. the one kid who was like a developmental type guy, they figured would be like more of a 23 or 24 impact, has already been like decent for them in practice, like much better than they thought he would be. And he's like NFL measurable type guy. Uh, but Winston Wright got in a car crash in March, so yeah. like their best receiver and best center that they took are both not going to play in this game. Their backup center got hurt in the practice in Jacksonville, and I'm kind of doubtful like you know, he's listed on the depth chart we'll see if he actually plays type thing and then johnny wilson their uh, one of their other receiver transfers rolled an ankle in, in the first series Jeez. or first quarter rather against duquesne i think there's a pretty good chance he plays uh and then another one of their centers went down in the game uh, as well so they had four guys snap the ball against duquesne uh, which was kind of wild so I, it's not good yeah I, I think if you look at the matchups like there are uncertainties and certainties and like I'm relatively certain that both D lines will give the opposing offensive lines trouble. Like, especially if LSU's tackles don't handle size well, because like FSU is legitimately like big on the outside. Yep. Um, I mean, obviously Briggs is playing DN now for for FSU. He, he's a potentially an NFL guy. Mm-hmm. He used to be like a hybrid D tackle type. So, you know, if if they make LSU drop back a whole lot, I think that's possible. We'll have to. LSU should have a pretty big advantage against FSU's offensive line. And I, I don't love either either corner room because, oh, Marion Cooper uh, was held for precautionary reasons, the, the corner for FSU. Yeah, yeah. They're, like, they're probably an NFL guy, I think, long-term. Um, I think he plays. But if not, like, you don't want to face LSU's receiving core if you're down, you know, a bunch of corners. So no, it's, it's going to be – Have you done a pick on this yet? You know what? I don't know if I actually have yet. I think it's the hardest part, right, is like – it's this dumb thing we all have to do week one is it, we're going to find out. Cause it's like, if LSU shows up, 
if Brian Kelly, if having Brian Kelly as head coach changes, but just the amount you can screw up. It's like, yeah, I take LSU. I think LSU probably like the good version of LSU probably does win by one or two scores, but I think I take LSU, but I'm so not confident about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think from a betting perspective, you just take some alternate lines that are, are honest. That's are really juicy. Yeah. Like the, right. there's not a whole lot of certainty as to what happens here. I, I don't think. And one score could be, could be a pretty big deal. Uh, oh, last one for me. I know you got to run. No, you could. Are they doing? Te- are they doing tempo stuff? Yes. Like are they? Tr- they are going tempo. I don't know if I don't think it's going to be the foundation, but I mean they have that in their package, is what sure. I should say. Because I would assume if it's Daniels, you're probably doing a little more clock management. But that is me speculating. I will be a straight shooter. Yeah. But yes, they do have some tempo stuff in there. Dope. Brody Miller at the Athletic at Brody A Miller. Man, I really appreciate you coming on. This is awesome. Absolutely, man. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. No doubt.